Yo, yo, yo. What is up, ladies and gentlemen? Welcome back to another episode of the Win Win Effect Show presented by Winject Studios. I'm your host today for this episode, Chris Ross, as always. And today is a very special episode because I've been really looking forward to picking the brain of Miss Sharon Sloan. But welcome to the show. Thank you. It's a pleasure to be here, Chris. <laughs> We've obviously had a brief little conversation before we hit record on this thing. And I'm just like, man, I cannot wait to pick the brain of someone that really embraces and champions behavioral change in a positive way. Um, I come in contact with a lot of entrepreneurs as much as you do, probably even more so on your side on a lot of different ways on, I guess, media, or it could be just by the way of mental health. And obviously this week is, you know, for people who don't know is um, suicide prevention day on Friday coming up. And I'm not sure exactly when this show is going live, but that's something that I really do. Um, it hit home with me because of me being prior military and me having a lot of people that I would obviously brothers and sisters that I was in served with, and they were struggling with some things that were, they had all the limbs and things that they came back. Okay. But obviously just suffered with some mental health issues with post-traumatic stress, but I'm really excited to go into detail. There's a lot of, that we can cover pretty quickly because you've done so much in your career and congratulations on everything so far. You're welcome. And I guess for the most part, I usually kind of typically open up with a open-ended question and kind of like letting you take the conversation wherever you want to take it. If someone walked up to you in a supermarket, maybe in an event or in passing, and they go, hey, you seem like a pretty cool, obviously, cat, right? <laughs> like, what, what do you kind of do for a living? And how do you kind of go about explaining that? Because that's something that I'm curious about with entrepreneurs, because I, have a, I struggle with labeling myself, if that makes sense. But how do you kind of go about explaining what you do and what you're about? Well, that's really interesting, because explaining it is always a, a little bit of a challenge. <laughs> right. because a lot of what we do has to be seen to be appreciated. But I will take a stab at that, and then I will also talk a little bit about the military because you mentioned that just now, and mm -hmm. we have great roots with the military around suicide prevention and mental health. But uh, really what happened to me was that 25 years ago, I was working in training and education, and I was realizing that most training was really horrible. Mm -hmm. um, it didn't engage people, it didn't move the needle, it didn't change much of what they did in real life, and thought about what we could do to change that. Uh, I come from a very entrepreneurial family. My father mm -hmm. said to me, well, if you don't think that's working, invent something that will. And so really what we do are we create a form of interactive movies, sometimes known as Choose Your Own Journey, in which the users become the characters in a full-length movie, Hollywood production, full-length movie, real actors, mm -hmm. and make decisions very frequently that alter the storyline near-term and long-term and lead to different consequences. And all of these movies are based on actual events and real incidents, so they're very authentic. People get emo emotionally involved mm -hmm. as well as intellectually involved, and it's at that sweet spot in the brain where we have the opportunity to positively influence people's behavior. Mm -hmm. What actually sparked your curiosity on the development of like software, like applications, you know, and products? I mean, in that type of, because I, I, me being prior military, there's a lot of trainings and that does not really pertain to today's marketplace on really assisting them or giving them the right tools they're going to need to make the proper adjustments to live a better quality of life. It doesn't matter in what type of form or fashion, but what kind of like piqued your curiosity on the, I guess the proper adjustments that you needed to make to adapt to the world today? Well, first of all, there are really four pillars that okay. you need to incorporate into training if it's going to affect people's attitudes and behaviors. One is you have to understand the neuroscience of how we make decisions. You know, we mm. all know that we shouldn't eat a dozen donuts, but that doesn't mean that everybody doesn't eat donuts. Um, secondly, um, the power of story is huge. Mm. Since the beginning of mankind, that is what people remember. 
And that is how you engage people and pass messages on. The third, of course, is video, in, particularly today, or film. Um, how many of us recall a scene in a movie we saw 10 years ago, but we don't remember anything from training that we took 10 days ago? <laughs> and then the fourth is to put people at the center of the experience. Interactive, make it a game. Mm -hmm. And so what we did was we realized that we had to use technology. Technology is always an enabler. It's not the end state. Mm -hmm. To bring this to people at scale, whether it's the military, large corporations that are global, hospital systems, it doesn't matter. And so that's how we became a software company. We actually started out as World Institute of Leadership and Learning. Mm -hmm. And we are a, a DBA as Will Interactive because in 1998, when we got our first patent on our software, we really shifted focus of the company to become a software as a service and develop product. Mm -hmm. And that was pretty amazing that, you know, even you say 1998, and that's when I went into the military and it feels like a lifetime ago. But when you say 1998, when it comes to you know, software development and obviously making that shift with the patents and, and obviously but it's utilizing technology in, to really serve people that it doesn't seem that long ago <laughs> to me. Yeah. Well, you know, it's, it's really strange because if you go back to that time, there were people that said to us, you guys are crazy. No one's ever <laughs> going to play video on a computer. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And, and they meant it. And now, of course, not only on the computer, but on our smartphones and our tablets and everything else. Mm -hmm. um, but we realized that we had to do a lot of work because um, in those days, there was no bandwidth. There was no infrastructure. There were no tools. We had to build all of that. Mm -hmm. and, and fortunately, the world kind of caught up with us. And we started out with the uh, old CD-ROMs. Yeah, I was about to say that, CD-ROMs, yeah. Yeah, and then the DVD-ROMs. Mm -hmm. uh, and then we were able to come online as technology advanced and the internet really took off. So we were fortunate that the world kind of followed the path that we hoped it would back then. Um, but it was a very interesting uh, progression over the last 25 years. Right. Um, you mentioned something very at the beginning of, of this, and I kind of want to like maybe peel back a little bit further. You come from a world or come from a family of entrepreneurs, an entrepreneurial type of mindset. Yeah. Um, can you share a little bit more about that um, with the listeners? Absolutely. Um, so I was very fortunate to have two amazing parents. Um, my father was absolutely brilliant, uh, had many patents, invented many things, um, had grown up poor, Mm -hmm. uh, lost his own mother when he was only eight years old mm. and really uh, found his own way in life and became very successful. And my mother was sort of the kindest, sweetest, most uh, gentle individual that was so supportive of all this. Mm -hmm. And when I grew up, it was customary after dinner for my father to fig figure private margins on the back of a napkin. And in those days, it really was on the back of a napkin. I know <laughs> a phrase, mm -hmm. but uh, he was in the garment industry. And so it was, you know, how much fabric do I need to buy and how many zippers and buttons and how much labor will be involved. And I actually grew up thinking that's what every family did after dinner. You know, talked business and figured out margins. It wasn't until, you know, later I realized that families had many other kinds of discussions. Mm. But I knew that I always wanted to do something on my own. Okay. So I went to college, I went to graduate school, I was a teacher and a guidance counselor. Um, and then I did a lot of consulting work around curriculum development and adult learning. Mm -hmm. But I really was fascinated with. What does it take to actually have somebody change their attitudes and behavior? Mm. And so it wasn't out there. And all that was out there was this stab me with a fork training. You know, everybody hears the word training and many yeah, they cringe. They cringe. Like, they cringe, right? It's it's dread, it's angst, it's not excitement or energy. And mm -hmm. it's funny, um, they, they do cringe. Just the other day, I was on a Zoom with an executive of a large organization. 
and she said, well, one thing I know, we don't need any more of that stab me with a fork training. And she takes her <laughs> hand and you know, stabs herself in, in the forehead. Um, so we took a completely different approach mm -hmm. to, to learning, to engage people, to make it entertaining, and that people really want to use the programs. And I think that's just so important. And it was my dad who, who said, you know, uh, if it's not out there, then find the brightest people you can and invent it. Oh, I love that. That that's a really good piece of advice for someone out there right now that are raising children in a digital world. And we have a stone age brain. And just because you might have a thought and you might be very creative and you might see an area and opportunity, but what tends to happen in certain families and depending on your, uh, the demographics in your society and the people around you in the community, if it's an uplifting community, they'll try to support you in any kind of way that you, they can. But if you don't grow up in a very strong household and people that really support you and champion change or uh, creative ideas, they can project their own limitations onto you. And then to say, oh, don't do that. That's stupid. Like, you, well, who do you think you are? I mean, this is the stuff that where I was raised, not by my family, I'm talking about just people around me, would dump their baggage onto me or limiting beliefs on what could they do or what they couldn't do onto me. Absolutely. That is so important, Chris. And if I had one piece of advice to give people based on our experience is avoid naysayers. Yeah. Uh, of course, you need to be realistic. There are a lot of bumps around, along the road. Entrepreneurship is a tough road. It's a lifestyle. <laughs> yeah. It really is a lifestyle. Mm -hmm. um, but if you can find the right people to take that journey with you, Mm. And I was very blessed because um, my co-founder is actually a retired Marine Corps colonel, ah. aviator, background in modeling and simulation, and just an incredible human being. And very early on, before we co-founded Will, um, I was working with an absolutely incredibly talented screenwriter and filmmaker. Mm -hmm. who has been our chief creative officer since our inception 26 years ago. Oh, wow. And we were three people who should never have come together. <laughs> I mean, we, we were on such different trajectories, but the universe brought us together, and I'm a big mm -hmm. believer in that. Me too. Um, and here we be 26-plus years later having built this company and you know, just two incredible human beings. Where'd you get the vision from? For like, did it something just come to you, or just a mixture of maybe your surroundings and you just seeing an area of opportunity? Just because that you were, I guess, from your parents, and it seems like you're. You sounds like to me. I'm just obviously a person that can read energy pretty well. Do you take after your mother's like personality type, as in being like caring, and that maybe that's why you went to teaching? Like, I know there's a kind of a lo loaded question. I'm just more like curious. Yeah, well, I, I've I've been asked that question uh, actually okay. before, and I I'm I'm a, I'm really a hybrid of okay. my parents um, because um, I do have that from my mom, um, and my dad was just such an incredible thinker. Mm -hmm. um, it, we we actually had projection television in our home before <laughs> it existed. Um, he built an electric car before there were any. So it was kind of like there were um, no restrictions. Now, okay. of course, there were resource constrictions. Mm -hmm. And it wasn't as though there was a lot of money to support all of this. But the idea was that you shouldn't limit your thinking. Mm -hmm. And that you could find a way that things have a way of working out. Always. If it's meant for you and you're putting in the right and you have the right thoughts and the right intention behind it, it'll eventually work itself out. And the other thing is you really have to be willing um, to make the sacrifices um, mm -hmm. you know, It's it, to, to, to work the 70 hour weeks, you know, mm -hmm. to uh, eat peanut butter and jelly sandwiches until the revenue <laughs> starts. Coming. Right. Yeah. Yeah. To 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 we went to our first trade show. They thought we were frauds. 
somebody from a Fortune 500 company came along and said, you can't play video on a computer. These people are frauds. They're looking under the table at the exhibit hall mm -hmm. and this kind of thing. Uh, but we had some brilliant young folks, technical folks working with us that were able to bypass codes and all that do this stuff that that's way above my pay grade. I, I'm not the technical guru. Mm -hmm. uh, but um, I think part of the vision was that the power of movies. Yeah, I think that's, it's so it's so powerful. And you touched on those four things and it talked about storytelling. Storytelling is so powerful. And I, yeah. and I speak on this when it comes to and people they will Google me and I'm like, OK, how did you become one of the best in the game in sales? I'm like, I never sold. I just told stories. Yeah. And sometimes telling a story, it takes their emotions out of it and they're able to look at it more in a bird's eye view and they're with, you know, a kind of an outer body experience. And they're going to gradually tie in their own emotions from their own experiences to that story and relate to it. And if you look at the neuroscience and I've done extensive study of the brain, mm -hmm. when you're telling me a story, the parts of my brain that match the feelings that you're describing actually will light up mm -hmm. on an MRI or, you know, some kind of a device. Um, I'm actually feeling what you're feeling. Mm -hmm. And the trick to a lot of this in terms of behavior change is to make it realistic enough and relevant and authentic enough, but provide just that amount of distance that it's not me that it is a character in a story. 100%. And then we've had people, whether it's sexual harassment or unconscious bias or mental health, whatever it is, just you can almost see the shoulders come down and they open up. Well, mm -hmm. I've had this experience that's similar to what's in the movie, in the interactive movie. And I'll make this choice because I want to see what will happen maybe I wouldn't make that choice in real life. Mm -hmm. The beauty of the technology is you can go back and make a different choice. You can. You can play it out in different ways and then take that messaging with you because people talk a lot about instinct. Mm -hmm. Instinct is really learned behavior. Mm -hmm. Instinct is what gives you that success. If we can give people that without exposing them to dangerous situations, give them the benefit of experience through the virtual interactive mm -hmm. movies, it's almost like living through those things. And then you have a muscle memory that's different. Mm -hmm. your, your default is a better one. I, I really liked it what you're saying here, and I love that this conversation is going in this route. And I, and I typically, when I was thinking about it, I was visualizing this, and I'm, I'm really big on the power of visual, of visualization and actually putting in the work and like imagining being there, but not just being there. But that's also what storytelling can do for you, and just a, enough distance for them to see in an outer body. It's not them personally into it. And I think that's, it's so powerful when you're able to tell a story and even uh, and something's popping in my head right now. I'm just going to lean into it, but there was a movie that came out and this is years ago. It was, um, I think it was Sandra Bullock um, and um, Matthew McConaughey, Samuel Jackson it was a time to kill. And the, in the storyline and obviously, and I think it's an important topic to bring up even more so right now because of how the world has evolved and, and so much, you know, um, I guess hate is being spread. And especially when it comes to race. And I was raised not to see a color, you know, but I was raised also in the South. Doesn't mean that I am not oblivious to it. You know what I mean? Um, yeah. Seeing all the, you know, I guess oppression and whatnot from it. But the storyline, it was talking about um, the, his Samuel Jackson's daughter was um, brutally raped and beaten and by these boys and these boys were white boys um, in the South. And the, he ended up, they ended up getting off and then Samuel Jackson broke in there and he ended up obviously committing, obviously killed the boys. And when he killed them, he had to go and he was obviously trying to plead insanity or whatever. But towards the end of the line, and I think one of the Matthew McConaughey and whoever the writer was, it was a phenomenal writer. The way that he told the story and he had everybody close their eyes 
and he was telling the story and they were latched on to every word. And that's part of tonality as well, is being able to be captivating enough to share a story and share a vision for them to visualize it in their own way. And towards the end of it, and he goes, and I want you to imagine if she was white. Yeah. And, we're and, and that was powerful. And that's just something, I don't know, I haven't seen that movie in forever, but it's something when you were talking about that, I was thinking of an instant where you can completely shift the narrative just by one, like one statement. And that's how powerful storytelling is. Oh, you're, you're absolutely right. Um, and particularly around complex, abstract things. Yes, 100%. Like, like bias. Um, and you're right about way too much hate in this world and we really have to come together and work these things through mm -hmm. and with the pandemic and everything else but it's it's such an a, an important way of using store to take abstractions and it's not just about showing someone what happens it's about feeling what someone yes. else feels that's very difficult for a company or a, a situation or people to be able to, in a non-judgment type of way, allow them to come to their own decision-making and behavior, but then also identifying some of the behavioral changes inside and opportunities and allowing them to put their own emotion attached to the story rather than vice versa. Right, right. And, uh, you know, so much of what's being done now is well-intentioned, but it's not working. Yes. Because you can't, force someone to feel differently. Mm -hmm. You can educate them, you can inform them, but feelings come from inside of us. Yes. So there's a lot of discussion now about malicious compliance. Mm -hmm. You can get people to do certain things because that's what they must do, but it doesn't change who they are or how they feel. But the power of story is that we have this wonderful back door that Aha. Uh -huh. It's those aha moments. It's what you just described. Imagine if she had been white. The feelings that people get and the, okay, I'm opening up my mind. I'm opening up my thoughts and I'm looking at this maybe through a different lens. Mm -hmm. And that's what story allows us to do without threatening us or saying you're a bad person or you should have done this, or being judgmental. Mm -hmm. We like to do things that are descriptive versus prescriptive. I love that. Yeah. I, and I read that somewhere in, that wasn't your Bible, it's just I do my own research as well. I don't have my team do it. I like to try to look at the areas of opportunity and because it's, I need to pique my curiosity because I'm going to be one that's going to interview you. And it's not by the questions that I'm asking you, it's just for my benefit. There's a lot of people that tune into the show and they're going to, that I don't want my guests to obviously be listening to the show. I'm like, well, I'm curious about this. And I try to think about it in, in all aspects. And you probably can tell that from the way that I'm asking questions, but I'm trying to get them to understand the, the power of storytelling one, but then also doing it in a, in a way it's not maliciously done. Yeah. It, it needs to be ethically done and morally and ethically to the point to where you're really trying to help them. Well, I guess you would say equip them with the right tools they're going to need to come to their own decision-making process themselves. Exactly. It's not about being manipulative. Mm -hmm. And that, that words, that words, a scary word for people because most people, they overlook, they think it's always in a bad way. You, I can manipulate a conversation, but it's the intention behind it makes it positive or negative. Exactly. Exactly. And so what you want people to do is you want them to gather that information, both intellectually and emotionally, yeah. and digest it, mm -hmm. and then apply their own perceptual filters, because we all come to all of these experiences with our own lives behind it. Yours yeah. is different than mine. Someone else is different than either of us. As your audience is listening, they're listening to our conversation through their perceptual filters, their belief systems, their prior experiences, their personal stories. And so that's how it works. And, and really, 
in terms of the world right now, I think there are three critical lenses. There's that personal lens mm -hmm. that's very individual. There's the institution or organizational lens. Where do you work? Is it a corporation? Is it a hospital? Is it government? Whatever it might be, the military. There, that has a lens. And then there's society at large, this whole big world that we're in. And that's why issues around culture are so important now. It's bubbling up as the specifics. So it's diversity, equity, and inclusion. It's sexual harassment. It's bullying. But if you look at all of this, there's one common denominator, and that is respect. Oh, wow. Yeah, that's a powerful point. Why do you think that's always overlooked? Well, I think that what happens is that the symptoms become the issue rather than the cause. It's almost like diagnosing an ailment, mm -hmm. you know. Um, my, my nose is running, I'm coughing, I'm sneezing, and that can be the common cold, or in this environment, it could be COVID and, and a whole bunch of other things, and I'm not a doctor. Um, mm -hmm. But I think that if you drill down, what's happening is that everyone wants to be respected. And if, yes. of course, if you ask people in an environment, if you, if you ask executives, they say, of course, we respect our people. But here's a couple of things that I like to ask when it comes to training, because that's our world. Hmm. I would ask any executive or decision maker, anyone in control of the budget who is deciding to purchase training, and particularly at scale, where it's large organizations, mm -hmm. how would you feel personally if you were told to take this training? Would you feel valued? Is this, is this training something that you would be engaged in, that you would see relevant, that would be meaningful? I mean, I, I had a situation not long ago where an interim CEO was told that he was required, like everyone else, to take the sexual harassment training. Mm -hmm. And it happened to be our program. And he, he was very, he, he wrote to me, he said, I was very candid. I was thinking, I don't have an hour to waste on this, but I have to do it. Mm -hmm. And he said, I had my phone near me and I had a document that I had to read. And I figured I would just click through and I would get other work done. That's and it's, I, common, it's a very common perception when it comes to training with people approaching it. Yeah. Right. You're right. And I'm sure your listeners are saying, oh yeah, you know, nodding their heads. I've been in that boat mm -hmm. and about, two or three minutes into it, he realizes this is a compelling story and it completely different than any training he'd experienced. And he was a very sophisticated person. Um, put everything aside and actually wrote a beautiful note to me about this is amazing and I didn't know it was out there. Mm -hmm. um, all training should be like this. So I say, particularly on the important issues today, sexual harassment, diversity and inclusion, mental health. That is not the time to do a check the box, hand it off to someone and say, just go do something. Yeah, just like mail it in, yeah. No, no. You, you touched on you touched on with something is powerful and and I've actually mentioned this in this show is for perceptional filters. And this is something that I'm very much aware of and unconsciously to be honest with you i pick up on certain filters and i know where what they're filtering through so i need to kind of amend my approach to fit the experience the way they need to receive it and i'm choosing my words wisely here they need to receive it not the way they want to receive it and that takes a very skilled individual understanding, maybe the neurochemistry, understanding um, this human behavior as, as a whole on what you're hired to do. And sometimes when I'm hired to do, you know, I'll come in on broker deals and whatnot. And my one of my roles is to come in and look at the proposal. What's in the best interest of this company, short term, long term? What is the impact? What's the also the social impact? What's the community impact? What's the, you know, all these different types of you know, aspects. But when I'm coming and giving advice, I, they, that's what they're investing me for. And sometimes the company or the person or people 
that are running that company don't see the bigger picture. How do you go about handling those types of perceptual filters with the people that are higher ups that sometimes they seem like they're detached away from what's actually happening inside the organization? Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's a really good question. How do we zoom out? No yeah. Intended. Um, but um, I think the interactive movie actually has done wonders for that. Okay. Um, that's where I was angling it too, because I really believe that's the, that's obviously the huge area and what makes you guys so powerful. Well, go ahead, please. So when you be- use the program, you become different characters. Mm-hmm. It's all through multiple perspectives. So maybe you're a senior executive, maybe you're an entry level employee, maybe you're a mid-level manager, and you see the same events through the eyes of different people because you have become them. You are literally walking in their shoes, seeing it through their eyes, making the choices. And there are two things in life, I think, that are very powerful and all of us do not have enough opportunities to do them. One is to walk in someone else's shoes. And I mean, really walk in those shoes sort of live out an experience as that person with their feelings. Mm -hmm. And the other is see ourselves as others see us. And that latter one, very often, and that's why unfortunately we see a lot of famous people, um, senior executives can put their foot in the mouth. They they say something and it's all over the news Mm -hmm. in social media, it's instantaneous. And then that becomes the brand of the company. What that senior executive, CEO, president, whoever it was said, or it's someone in politics. Um, And so what I think is important is that, first of all, we we be a little more considered, not considerate, Mm -hmm. that's good too, but considered in what we say, but also that, as you just alluded, how is it going to land on the listener? Yeah. Because there's a lot of training about talking and presenting and telling. How about listening? Like really listening. Like really listening. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Not just the head nod. You know, you ask someone how they are, and you expect them to say fine. And what if they don't say fine? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Actually, I'm not doing really well today. Are you and, 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 and champing in that and and, I'll, and, I'll create, and also don't to interject just to interject on this I think that's it's very powerful what you just mentioned because you get pre-programmed on just saying hey how are you doing and walking off and not even listening for the answer I I've always my grandmother was a wonderful lady wonderful lady boy but she'll can she she'll eat you up if you came at her like in a, in a poor way. However, but she always will tell me, and she's like, the way that you speak, communicate, and look someone in the eyes and make them walk away from you and with a smile on their face, it shows how you were raised and it shows your true character. And that's something that, you know, through time, um, I would forget. And the older now that I, I get, and obviously having, I guess, being viewed as the leader or viewed as the person that, needs to conduct themselves and not just for the company or the organizations is how I show up and when I show up and, and how I deliver, there's a lot of people counting on me. So that's a lot of, you know, that piece, but you touched on that, that one side of it is we were pre-programmed just to answer, but not really listen for the, not listening for what they say it's what they don't say. Right. Right. And it's all about really being authentic. Yes, 100%. we need to be authentic. We need to be real. Um, we're not always having a great day. There are problems. There are challenges, uh, and it's part of what is happening now in the medical profession. Yes, because our doctors have been cast as superheroes. Mm-hmm. Can't have any chinks in the armor, right? Compartmentalize and be strong likewise with nurses and other clinicians. And one of the things that we're doing a lot of work in now, and we've partnered with Yale School of Medicine and Yale New Haven Health, is 
it's okay to say, I'm really not okay right now. Mm -hmm. I'm struggling. Maybe I've lost a patient today and I need to move on to the next patient and be 100% in the moment for him or her, but I'm also human. Can I take some time to, to grieve at least for a little bit, to, to debrief with someone, mm -hmm. um, to say that it's been a struggle and especially now with the pandemic and what some of these doctors and nurses are dealing with. Um, and even on the corporate side, take it out of the medical profession. Look what we're seeing around emotional well-being in the workplace. Mm -hmm. uh, increased anxiety, depression. People are trying to deal with children at home and they can't go to school or now maybe they're going back with masks or all of these things take a toll. So when we show up wherever we are, whether it's on this podcast, in our workplace, at home, we show up as 100% one person, mm -hmm. even though we have many different roles. And we need to be able to be human. Yes. And being human is being you know, checking in with yourself each and every day. And your body knows what you need. Sometimes when you ignore those types of signs, intellectually or physically or mentally, whatever, right? When you're ignoring those signs, your body will end up shutting down. And you see a lot of um, business-minded people, entrepreneurs or whatever whatever their title is in the, in the cor corporation, they tend to burn out. And when they, while they're burning out, they forget why they're doing it in the first place. You know, just feel they feel like they have to do something rather than they get to do something. And changing your perspective, changing the way that you perceive things, and really feel those things, it, it'll also you know have an effect on you short term or long term. But then you know, always being I guess optimistic. Well, I was actually not arguing, but I was <laughs> going back and forth with a um, a colleague, and she mentioned something about like, how do I always stay so positive? It's not that I'm saying positive, that I'm choosing to see it in a positive light. Um, like when you're arguing about glass half full, glass half empty, I'm the guy that sold the glass. Okay. <laughs> so it's, that's my way. That's how, my, how I handle myself first. Cause I can't handle the situation without handling myself first. You know, and I think that's hard with people when they go into a training exercise well, it's what you don't prepare for what tends to destroy you. Yes. Well, I think you're talking about very important things, self-awareness and self-regulation. Yes. Uh, you know, many people really don't reflect a whole lot on themselves. Uh, mm -hmm. They react rather than respond. They're not in tune, don't allow themselves to be in tune with their own emotions. Mm -hmm. um, and, and therefore it's very difficult to self-regulate if you don't know what it is that's really going on in your mind and in, in your, in your feelings. And so the, the more that we can, as they say, get on the balcony, <laughs> yeah. observe yourself mm -hmm. and observe your circumstances. And you're absolutely right. There are things that are not the ideal. Um, we want to maintain optimism and a positive framework um, and still be realistic about this is not a good thing that's happening. The only thing we really have control over is ourselves, yes. how we view it, how we respond. And that can be learned behavior. Uh, and that's a lot of, again, what we do in our Choose Your Own Journey interactive movie programs is give people the opportunity to practice doing that in a safe environment mm -hmm. because it doesn't come naturally to a lot of folks but once they realize the value of it and see that they can do it it's a very powerful tool it is powerful what is the and i'm just morally curious just for the listeners i'm sure they're gonna you have a long list of clients you have you worked with u.s army fbi navy nfl disney tsa i mean just keep going down the list 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 
and what makes you very effective, it, it seems to me, and I'm just more like curious for listeners, what is the follow-up process after you, they go through and it, you equip them with the right trainings that's going to fit their uh, business model or organization or whatnot? What's the touch points as in for your company on how you hold them accountable to, I guess, executing the training the way they need to, to deliver on the message? Well, from our perspective, we're building the tools Okay. Software. Got it. Mm-hmm. Um, now the software, it's it, it software as a service is, is our model, but we always provide facilitator guides and other resources so that the people that use our program, whichever organization it is, whichever product it is, can use it online 24 seven or on their mobile devices. They can do live facilitated sessions, bring people together in a conference room and have a facilitator walk them through it. Or in this day and age, more and more virtual facilitated sessions where it's on a platform and there's opportunity to have discussion because the discussion is often extremely valuable, whether it's before, during, or after. And so what we do is we enable and empower our customers and clients to take on these really thorny issues with something that won't be laughed at or dismissed mm-hmm. because there's so much hokey training out there. People just so roll much. their eyes, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, you've seen it. I'm sure all your listeners have seen it. It's almost like worse than nothing at all because mm-hmm. what it communicates is, well, obviously the organization doesn't take that seriously or they wouldn't put this out for us. Mm-hmm. I've even seen sometimes with actually them having great trainings, but the senior level of executives aren't practicing what they're preaching. Yes. Yeah. And, and it's really about walking the talk. Mm-hmm. Right. So if you can create something that the senior executives buy into because it resonates with them. Mm. And, and the thing is, a lot of these issues come across as feel good or humanitarian. They are bottom line issues. Mm-hmm. They are about your brand. They are about your profits. And look what we've seen with companies, especially over the last few years. Enormous lawsuits, demonstrations. Tons tons i mean you got cancel culture right now i'm that's and i I actually heard someone say this the other day and i almost jumped through the microphone i think they were like well it makes it really difficult to be able to speak your mind i'm like no i would much rather you speak your mind and let me know that you're a bigot than to mask it do you see my point Uh, it's like i don't need to really hear it verbally from you than knowing that your intention's unpure I can pretty much sense it through your organization. And that's just by me observing. That's the most powerful thing that you can ever do is just observing. Yeah. And, you know, part of it also is really not ill intentions. Um, You know, one of the things that's been said to me, and we've actually been asked for some of our scripts, the the actual hard copy (laughs) is, you know, I know I need to handle this differently. Give me the words. Uh, Role model it for me. Or better yet, show me in the interactive movie. Don't tell me how to have a termination discussion. mm -hmm. I've seen all of that. Show me how to do, have that difficult conversation. That's such a powerful, such a powerful tool for people that, can't wrap their mind around how to really execute. And that's the biggest part that I see with training that it was the biggest, I guess, pervasive issue I see is they don't show the how to right. Right. like executing it all the way in situational type of training. I call it knee to knee training that knee to knee training is executing and executing how they're going to execute it themselves based on their personality type. And that's really difficult to, articulate over and demonstrate and then let me practice let me practice and make a bad decision Mm -hmm. and oh but i can go back and make a different choice and see how that works out there it is 
There and it is. there it is. And there's that, that moment. And, you know, we have literally millions of users. Mm-hmm. And at the end of the day, there are only three kinds of people <laughs> that use our programs. I want to hear. Have, I, 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 I'm, I'm, I want to hear the three types. So go ahead, please. <laughs> Can't so wait. you're in the interactive movie, and you're making choices, and you're making many of them in rapid fire for an hour or sometimes two. There's one group of people that wants to get an A. They are mm-hmm. going to make whatever they think is the correct choice, mm-hmm. regardless of what they would do in real life. But they're going to get it right so they can move on. Mm-hmm. There's another group of people that will make every choice as bad as possible. How badly can I screw up and what disaster will follow? There's sort of an adventure there. Mm-hmm. And then the third group are the people that say, what would I actually do in this situation? What would be my psychological space? How would I be feeling? And what would I likely do and let me see whether that works out well or not. And because the interactive movie isn't a single choice or two or three, but all the algorithms are working under the surface, mm-hmm. it's the combination of all of these choices. Because when you make a choice sometimes in life, you either open doors or you close doors. You know, once you say something, you can't withdraw it. You can apologize, you can explain but you've spoken it. And mm-hmm. so give people the nuances, let them practice in a safe space. And at the end, it's like, I get it. I realize, I didn't even realize I was doing X or Y. Mm-hmm. There's another way for me to still be authentic in who I am, but to engage differently. Ah, there it is. That's what I was looking for. The engagement piece. That engagement... Which one out of those three do you think that I am when I'm taking a test? Uh, I'm going to say you're the third one because you seem very authentic to me. It's <laughs> 100% the third one. Right? Am I right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's the third one. And it was funny is that I always take a step back every time I'm looked. I don't just answer a question. I'm answering a question based on my, not even say genetic proclivities or um, the way that my behavioral, I guess, changes but I'm, I'm going to try to answer it in the best way possible how i would handle it not how everybody else would handle it. it's like from my own experience just because i want to kind of i'm a kind of person you could probably sense when sharing is that i'm a person that needs to be challenged yes if i'm not challenged i'm detached like i am not engaged at all and that's where i usually get in trouble <laughs> because i'm gonna find something to do <laughs> you know what i mean um and it tends to what I'll end up finding something to do is based upon, I guess, my surroundings and experience and uh, connections, you know. So but I think the where, where I've really made an impact in my life is the cultivation of silence and cultivation of self-discovery and understanding. Why do I feel this? Where did I learn this? Mm-hmm. And then I went back into and I, that's where I transformed for the for the latter part of my career. I've seen astronomical results and people say, and they see that now and they go, what? I knew you 15 years ago. What changed? My decision-making process changed. Hmm. That's decision-making process. My core values, principles, behaviors, it didn't change. Just the way that I go about making the right decisions and getting not all the data, enough data of what's available to where I'm not trying to overseek i'm still going to make a in i guess in the game it's like when you're practicing you know, i practice for game time not practice to practice i go all in mm-hmm. and that's a lot of people i see that they don't have that accountability piece there where you mentioned creating an environment for them to feel safe that's important but that there's no repercussions from it from that decision making process they're a little bit more open to make a poor choice Yes. You know, there's no poor choice for me because that poor choice can be a compound effect and spiral out of control pretty quickly. Well, there are consequences for everything that we do, right? 100%. 100%. Cause and effect world. We don't live in one of those other ones. We live in a cause and effect world. Right. So it can be a great consequence. You know, mm-hmm. as we say here, the outcomes range from happy ever after 
to, you know, in a dumpster somewhere in an alley, uh, and all these things in between. Of course, mm -hmm. there are many shades of gray, but that's life. And if you can capture those nuances and allow people mm -hmm. to play around with, it's not just the extreme happy ever after or disaster, but all of these other things, then we have a richer palette from yeah. to choose. There's so many questions that I still have, and I can go on for five hours with you, but just for, you know, obviously being conscious of time and, you know, things that you have, you're a very busy business person and obviously with great people around you that definitely need your, I guess you would say, guidance and advice. But I'm just morally curious. Like, so say for instance, if I, um, obviously what I've been building now and what I've been doing with Winject Studios, Say, for instance, a company wanted to, I guess, acquire your trainings and different types of ways. I mean, how, what would be the best approach? And also a tie-in question to that, the financial side of it, what does it typically, I guess you would say, um, cost a company or corporation, depending on the size or the software, of acquiring that type of training to really empower their employees to benefit their life? Well, the first part of the question, um, basically, uh, go to our website, willinteractive.com. Okay. Email me, Sharon, at willinteractive.com. Ooh, you're brave. Okay, gotcha. Um, I, love, I love the transparency. Love the transparency. Yeah, I mean, I will make sure that that email gets to the right person. Or <laughs> yeah, I same way. Myself, <laughs> yeah. Because like you, Chris, I do my own research in mm -hmm. many ways, even though I have a wonderful team. Mm -hmm. um, I'm also very active on LinkedIn, um, and I've had some excellent conversations and met some wonderful people there. Um, so um, what we would do is, you know, share a demo. Our, our solution is really a picture's worth a thousand words. Yes. 10 or 15 minute demonstration will explain and show people and they'll see what we do more eloquently um, and more effectively than anything I could describe. As far as cost is concerned, um, people are amazed at how inexpensive it actually is. Mm -hmm. um, we work on a software as a service model, so depending on the product and the size of the enterprise, it you know the larger quantity of licenses that you purchase, the mm -hmm. longer term, the yes. less it is per license. And those numbers really do kind of go all over the place. But um, it is very affordable. Um, we are really about reaching a lot of people and that allows everyone to benefit from a lower cost. Yes. And the fact that the impact is made, the return on the investment we've been told by so many folks in major corporations and hospitals that my people really learned something and it aligned with our culture and it's changing our organization for the better. Mm. You know, I mean, I think one of the most compelling moments I ever had was a number of years ago and to go back to the military um, when we did our program on suicide prevention yeah. I actually had people call me. They found out through the army how to reach me. And they called me and they said, you saved my husband's life. Mm. Your program saved my son's life or my wife's life. And I have a plaque as we're having this conversation today above my desk. It's one of my most prized possessions is a handwritten letter by the former secretary of the army pete garen at that time and it i have the official coin and the official mm -hmm. letter but he wrote in his own hand in longhand i am confident your work has saved lives mm. and i will tell you that it was no small feat for my team and i to sit at the pentagon in washington dc and convince the senior brass that we should depict someone with suicidal ideation in an interactive movie. Mm. But for the nine months following the worldwide stand down, army suicides were reduced over 60%. Goodness gracious. Congratulations. Um, that edges a round of applause uh, for that. That's it hits home with me because it, 
not to inter- not to talk about my own story, but I think we all go through challenging times in our life. Oh yeah. In those challenging times in our life, we're just seeking the existence for meaning in the first place. And if you're in just, you mentioned the, the neurochemistry um, studies that you have obviously taken part in and I'm obviously was equipped to you to be able to make the level of impact you're making today. But when you're in the human mind aroused by the existence for meeting finds nothing but contradiction and nonsense, you, you're just going to be sitting there and, and that's going to frustrate you depending on your temperament or your personality. Um, it could be a behavioral trait and, and just being aware of what's really happening. Mm-hmm. Like, and you mentioned that one statement and I'm going to really hit on this and I want the listeners to really understand. And that's the number one thing that I look for when I'm looking to align myself with a company, corporation, individual, doesn't matter. The level of impact. What is the level of impact that this can make? That takes a dollar amount out for me. What's the level of impact? And if you're, if you, and I want the entrepreneurs to really listen to what I'm about to say. If you look at a company, corporation, I don't care what it is. What is the level of impact that this can make short term and long term? That's the only decision making process you should be making. Don't worry about the dollar amount. I agree because it will come back to you many, many times over. Mm -hmm. And, and, and it's so sad that so many organizations are spending so much money on training that not only doesn't work, but sometimes it actually has a negative impact. Yeah, I see that. I see that tons, tons. I mean, not to cut you up, but there's, I think, I've been, think I've come in contact and just in my entrepreneurial career, I think over 120 something contracts over the last like seven years. And that's a lot of corporations, mid-levels. I mean, of course they started off small and then I got, you know, sort of rubbing elbows with some major players in a game, but the ones that are in the, the major players in the game had the most problems because they don't, it, it's and not that they neglect training. It's how they, well, they execute on their trainings. And that's the deciding factor for me on certain organizations and me taking on a contract of me aligning myself, what is your execution ratios? If you have a project, what's your execution rate? And most people don't even know what that statistic is. They're like, what does that mean? What is your execution ratio? I want to see how well you execute on your projects and how many ideas get swept underneath a rug because you don't know or you don't know how to ask competitors or view views competitors i view as community i view community first that's what i built i'll be i'll be open to having a separate conversation with, with you about maybe acquiring some of these trainings of, about with some of the organization stuff that i obviously do and people that i know um and obviously a sidebar conversation but to be conscious of time for the most part i mean you mentioned and this week is a is a big week um suicide prevention day is friday and obviously when this show comes out we'll have to make some type of announcement but this is something that i think that you did obviously with um yell you mentioned um the medical field and what they're under fire right now and people don't understand what's really happening they're under fire yeah and they're being attacked in the medical field and it's so sad to see what kind of statement would you like to leave us with and maybe some tips or maybe just changing their perception on how they see see that medical field and obviously that some of the trainings and obviously really equipping them with the right skills well you know first of all um the statistics are staggering and frightening yeah Physicians uh, are committing suicide at two to three times the rate of the average population. Mm-hmm. Um, nurses, it's very severe also. This is losing some of our best and brightest. This is a crisis. Um, what I would say is to the leaders of healthcare organizations, look at your culture and see what you can do and our tool is one of the arrows in the quiver about changing the conversation, Hmm. making it okay to say, I need help, I'm not okay right now, I'm struggling with an issue, and then 
doing the training, like with the Thriving Clinician Program, to enable people to start to move the needle on how those conversations can be used in a positive way to help people. Because what we've seen is, and, and many, many stories were relayed to us during the research phase in focus groups and interviews. Um, we had a physician who really was very close to taking his own life and he's now a huge advocate. And I would also say to the medical schools, get this into the training early. It, there's not much being done in the medical schools around this problem. Um, more should be done with the younger physicians to equip them and then have the organizations in which they then work have a mm -hmm. culture that is supportive of mental health and the, and, the, and the dialogue. And it's so ironic because one would think on the outside, well, if, if these are physicians, they understand mental health, but it's been drilled into the profession for so long that they are superheroes knights in shining armor, that they can't have any chinks. They can't indicate any needs. Uh, and I, I pray that that will change. We're working really hard with some visionary leaders to help make that change. And I, and I definitely keep that in my prayers as well, because I truly believe if they start to change the stigmatism around brain health or the, the, obviously the other side of it, mental health issues as a weakness. Stop viewing it as a weakness. It's not a weakness. It's not a weakness. It, what the problem is, is that you're uh, addressing the issue like it's a weakness. Right. And that's something that I speak so passionately about, even more so now, because of what's happened in today's world. And for those, and when we were forced to go back deep inside and stay inside and not be around surroundings and what, they're not equipped to the right tools, Miss Sharon, right. to come out okay. And then, of course, they mask. And then that's another thing that media doesn't really talk about is the alcoholism and the drug use and people running away from their problems because they don't know how to deal with them. And one of our programs, the emotional life skills at work for the corporate environment, not the medical, but is helping supervisors and managers to help their employees mm -hmm. because they haven't been trained either. And it's not really fair to them. They're saying, well, make sure that you keep your employees emotionally healthy. Right. They haven't been given the skills or the training. Right. So we have a program there. Um, we actually partnered with an organization called Give an Hour, an amazing nonprofit um, that has a wonderful curriculum that we have brought to life. You said Give an Hour? Give an Hour, yes, is the nonprofit. Um, they started out working with the military, but their uh, audience is much greater now. We partnered with them to take it to scale. That's the other problem, that there's some really good people out there doing really good work, but we have to scale all this. We have to be delivering it to thousands of people at one time and an individual trainer or a group of consultants really can't do that in a reasonable period of time. There just aren't enough hours in the day and you can't bring people together in spaces as we used to do before the pandemic mm -hmm. because of social distancing yes. and masks and so forth. So we're giving people the tools, the organizations, the tools, and then supporting them as they roll it out across their organization. And we customize it for the individual business or hospital. We do different languages uh, or geography, depending upon what's needed. Right. And that goes back with my statement that I'm that I made right at the beginning of this that listeners catch on to this, that you deliver in a certain way. And that's what I love about how adaptable you are and aware that how way they need to they need to receive it. Not the way they want. It's about the way they need. And I've actually said this on a virtual stage um, pretty recently. It's like I I feed people through words that they didn't even know that they were hungry on. 
and I learned that through a um, spoken word poet, um, Kim Miller, if you're listening to this, I love her to death and she is powerful, um, very powerful. And she embraces change by understanding, engaging energy. And it sounds like you do that very well. And I'm going to be conscious of time. I'm going to go, go here in a second, but I would be open to having another conversation with you on a business seeing how I could support you short term, long term, and even um, in, in a lot of different types of ways and maybe just for my connections. But I've, I've thoroughly enjoyed this conversation. Thank you so much for this. Well, thank you. It's been a privilege and a pleasure. I'd love to have further conversation with mm -hmm. you. I think you're somewhat of a kindred spirit. Uh, yeah, I felt I felt a real strong connection with this this con. I mean, I've I've read um this per um this people that listen to this they know my story. My older sister was handicapped. Um, I learned how to speak, I guess, um, communicate non verbally before I even spoke my first word, and that's something. And I realized later in life when she passed away when I was six, fifteen, um, and later in life, I discovered that that was my gift that she gave me. That I was able to intuitively like read people and communicate with, you don't have to tell me what you, you might be able to say something to me, but I don't, I'm not paying attention to that. I'm paying attention to how, what, what I'm feeling. And it's a different, it's hard for some people because they think that it's empathy. Well, empathy is in trouble. You get in trouble with that because now you're taking on their emotion. Well, you have to just be very compassionate. Just showing being very compassionate about something to where you're able to still have that emotional force field there as your boundaries. And I think that is kindred spirit is a good way of that you put it because I felt a real strong connection with you on this call. I really did. I could talk to you forever. Um, mm -hmm. and I'd love to have another conversation about what we might do together Please. or Please. how I might support you further. Um, mm -hmm. But it yeah. just has been absolutely delightful, um, truly enjoyable, and also very insightful. So I appreciate that this conversation was truly a conversation. Mm -hmm. Yes. And thank you for that. That's, that's a huge compliment coming from you. Huge compliment. And I, I look forward to, you know, reaching out. I'll have my staff um, reach out to your assistants and, you know, we'll definitely set something up personally. But other than that, guys, be well, be you, be great. Please reach out to Miss Sharon. Her has been ticking on the bottom of the screen. If you're listening to the audio of this, go to LinkedIn, type in Sharon Sloan. S-L-O-A-N-E, last name, or go to willinteractive.com and you pretty much can find everything you need to about this phenomenal human being. But thank you again for coming on. The pleasure has been like to a very high level for myself. Really enjoyed this. Thank you so much, Chris. It's been a true pleasure. All right, guys. Be well. Text 843-396-2104 if you are in the U.S. or Canada. I, I would suggest any of your team members that tune into this as well. They're more than welcome to reach out to our communities and we'll give them different links and whatnot. But other than that, guys, be well, be you, be great. Peace out. Much love. Y'all take care. Thank you again. By Winject Studios. We are an all-in-one educational platform for podcasters that revolutionizes how hosts leverage content to increase engagement with listeners, downloads, and income. We come together to focus on community, collaboration, and collective impact. For more information on how you can interact directly with our hosts, access exclusive live content with offers you can't get anywhere else from our official partners, join our purpose-driven community by visiting www.winject.com. If you're ready to build a career doing what you love, then we're ready to see you there.